Welcome to Virtual Economy, a podcast about the business of games for the rest of us. We're your hosts. I'm Michael Futter. And I'm Amanda Farrow. On each episode, we'll bring you analysis of the biggest business beats in video gaming news. This is episode 161. Phil Spencer is Bobby Kotick's daddy now. Oh yeah. But before we talk about Boss Baby Bobby... <laughs> Boss Baby Bobby is still my favorite. Seriously, it's the best uh, It's the best thing that we've come up with on this show. We've come he, up with some real bangers. Do you think he needs a booster seat on his plane to Epstein Island? <clears throat> <laughs> I don't... I'm... Man, probably. <laughs> you were not expecting that one. I was not expecting that one. It is 11.30 in the morning on a Sunday, a rainy Sunday here... In our home. Amanda has been fighting the the persistent crud. Oh, I've had a cold for six weeks. I am so over this. I'm so tired. And I'm so tired of being tired. Yep. So if I sound off today, it's because I don't know if I caught a new cold or if this is just a new expression of my cold. Who even knows? Yeah. So just some quick uh, expectation setting from us. Uh... The beginning of November is going to be bananas. Uh, Amanda and I are going to see our eldest in Rome for from the 1st to the 6th. And then we get home on the 6th. Mm-hmm. And then I turn around. I'm going to be at Migs in Montreal on the 7th and the 8th. And he's going to go eat poutine without me. I come home on the 9th. And then my office is closed on the 10th for Veterans Day. And then... So I'm not back in the... I'm not in the office for most of... The first half of November. Although you and I will be checking in and doing some work in the evenings from Rome. I mean, I will be. I have a I have a game to make, so... Yeah, I, I have some work that I'm sure I'm going to need to get done. And I'll need to check in with the team, even though I'm technically... Well, anyway, so the point is, is that, gosh, we've been trying yeah. to get back onto a regular cadence. And gosh, it has been very difficult yeah. to I mean, do part so. of that was, I was at TwitchCon and uh, my first business trip with the new job. A very successful trip. Uh, lots of cool stuff going on. Um, for those of you who aren't quite aware of what I'm doing, if you, uh, you know, we we do um, we do marketing, and uh, one of our games, Return to Moria, came out this week. One of the games we're working on, uh, partnership with North Beach Games, and you know, so that's one. And I'm working on some cool stuff. I'm excited. Neat. Yeah. So uh, let, let's talk about the show. So uh, kicking off. With the Circana U.S. Video Game Spending Report for September 2023 from our dear friend Matt Piscatella over at Circana. Uh, total spending in September was up 10% year over year. That's odd. Yeah, at a $4.495 billion. Year to date is up 2% compared to last year to $39.38 billion. Hardware, on the other hand, was down 8% to $451 million. Year to date, though, I guess hardware is up about 10% to $3.699 billion. The PlayStation 5 was the top-ranking console in both units and dollars. Xbox Series was in second place by both measures. And we are definitely at end of life for the Nintendo Switch, but we expect Super Mario Bros. Wonder to give it one final boost. Yeah, huge reviews. I'm very excited. Like, we have our copy of Wonder. We haven't had a chance to pop her in yet. Next year is going to be an interesting inflection point for Nintendo. It's going to be a do or die for the Switch. Um, We can't sit in limbo anymore. We'll be sitting at seven years 
yeah. since the beginning of the life cycle of the Nintendo Switch. And everybody loves it, but let's be real. It can't hold up and it no. can't even compete with the Steam Deck these days. No, and I think the most important thing that I need out of the Switch 2 or whatever it's going to be called uh, is backwards compatibility. Yeah. And for two reasons. One, the enormous library of games, uh, just like the Wii to the Wii U did actually bring that whole library forward because the Wii U was compatible with the Wii remotes and everything. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, you've got games that have been struggling a little bit on the Switch that it, there is a boost mode or something like that that enables them to benefit from the additional hardware. Games I'm thinking of, uh, Persona 5 Strikers is one. Um, Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity is another where the, it was just really struggling on the system. And both yeah. of those games are now a couple of years old. Yeah. So I would really love to see some added benefit. Of course, I'd love to see 4K, you know, 4K compatibility. Um you know, Regardless, but... Nintendo is going to be at an inflection point yep. next year at, at their seventh anniversary of the Nintendo Switch. Absolutely. On the content side, sales were up 13% for September to $3.847 billion. Year-to-date content is up 2% at $34.078 billion. It was a wild month. This was an absolutely wild month, and you know we're in the holiday season when uh, most of the games, I think in the top seven were brand new releases. Kicking off with Starfield taking the top spot in its debut and immediately becoming the seventh best-selling game of the year. Mortal Kombat 1 debuted at number two, and it ranks eighth for the year. So sales are on par with Mortal Kombat 11's 2019 release, which did well both commercially and critically. Yes. Uh, EA Sports FC 24 debuted at number three, though it has done much better in more soccer-heavy territories. Sales jumped by double-digit percentages in both units and dollar sales compared to last year's FIFA release. That is really good news for EA. Rebrands are always scary. Uh, FIFA has been their brand for uh, simulation soccer games for decades. I'm going to say... 30 almost 30 years yeah it's it's been a, a good long time so this rebrand was actually a very scary thing internally i'm sure and the amount there's a lot of money a lot of marketing money that was spent on the rebrand if you watched soccer games i think greg alderton was telling us this mm -hmm. in the discord if you watch games on television they bought out so much advertising space because they needed this pivot to be very very clear and very very strong what people were getting this was your fifa this year EA Sports, <laughs> EA only has EA Sports right now, quite frankly, and Respawn. Well, That's that, basically it. Battlefield 2042, which had an extremely rough start, has turned it around similarly to the way Battlefront 2 turned things around. But you don't want to launch stay, that rough. I stay steadfast. Yep. They EA Sports is the, the portion of EA's business that is the most reliable, mm -hmm. and it is the thing that makes them the most money. So... Yep. Speaking of that, um, Madden NFL 24 slipped from one to four. Payday 3 debuted at number five despite an extremely rocky start. There's That, that game is going to need a lot of love. Now, I expect that it'll be supported for years to come, but not a great start. Not a great uh, start. In terms of its performance, not in terms of its sales. Right. <laughs> Uh, NBA 2K24 debuted at number six. The Crew Motor Fest, which is... Uh, like a, it feels like a festival environment, kind of like it's um, a it's a horizon, horizon like yeah. That debuted at number seven. Kind of want to play it though. Hmm. Armor Core Six Fires of Rubicon dropped from number two to its debut in its debut to number eight. Hogwarts Legacy is hanging on at number nine after dropping from number five. It's also still the best selling game of the year in the United States so far, which I have okay. thoughts, but whatever. 
Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 rounds out the top 10 after dropping from number 4. Uh, other notables, Resident Evil 4 is back in the top 20 at number 12, up from number 27. Sea of Thieves is at 19 from 34. And Diablo 4 dropped all the way to number 20 from number 7, but its recent Steam launch might help boost it when we get the October report. We'll see. Uh, and apparently they fixed a number of things in the second season. But we yeah, fell you off. You can't fix how bad the first season was. It was yeah. un unbelievably bad. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in mobile mm -hmm. right now. Spend has increased actually significantly for this year at 4.3% with Monopoly Go still a runaway freight train of a, of a property. Royal Match, Roblox, and Candy Crush were tightly grouped in the second through fourth slots, but way behind Monopoly Go. Pokemon Go spending dropped after the August World Championships, which honestly tends to happen pretty much every year. Yep. On the accessory side, spending increased 11% to $197 million. Year-to-date accessory spend is up 1% to $1.6 billion. Gamepad spending jumped 15%, and racing Whoa. controller spend was up a whopping 18%. Motorsport. Yeah, which is weird, motorsport. though. Like, Forza Motorsports definitely got to be part of the oh, driving Oh, right, Forza force. Motorsport, not, yeah. motor, not crew motorsport. No, 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 yeah, no, yeah. no I'm not talking about right. the crew. I think that it, this is a Forza Motorsport thing, because unlike Forza Horizon, which does, which very you know, out loud does not support, um, like racing wheels. Essentially. They want you to use a game pad. It was yeah. not optimized for racing wheels. Forza Motorsport on the other hand was built for a racing wheel. Yeah, absolutely. Cause that's the sim for, for those of you who don't keep up with <clears throat> racing games, the difference there is Forza Motorsport is your traditional track, track racing simulation. Uh, it's your Microsoft, uh, answer to Gran Turismo. It is. And it has been for a number of years. Horizon is your lighter, more or more arcadey, but still has some sim elements to it, where it's, it's a little bit more approachable for people who are not. It's die, a sim arcade. Hard. Yeah, it really is. Because I mean, if we're talking about just from the the spectrum of arcade versus sim, sitting over on the sim side is Gran Turismo, it's Forza Motorsport, it's, um. God, Project Cars was in there as well. Mm -hmm. And sitting more on, like, in between them will be the Crew's new game. It will be Forza Horizon. And on the very arcadey side is stuff like Need for Speed. Yeah, absolutely. So that, um, if you didn't know, now you know. Yeah, and, and Manda is my go-to when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, the limited edition Spider-Man 2 DualSense controller was the bestseller of the month. And that thing is beautiful. We I actually managed to get those. I did not manage to get the face plates for the uh for my ps5 although i still have hopes that one day my ship will come in mm -hmm. um, uh, but i mean i don't know i think that my controller is the best one in the house quite frankly your final fantasy 16 controller my that final I got fantasy 16 controller hi rex what are you like... doing the dog is in here and he's just like hanging out looking around what's up buddy um speaking of accessories though you and i had the chance to go up to new york comic-con and spend time For with our minute, friends yeah. at uh, PDP. Mm -hmm. uh, last year, we went up there. We saw the... They had just announced the BFG, their customizable uh, controller mm -hmm. for PC, PS4, and PS5. Um, we also saw the Fight Stick Pro, the FS Pro, I think it's called. Yeah, the, um, they which were... Which is gorgeous. I still want one. Yeah, they're def they were definitely showing off their, uh, their improved Vitrix line and... Go like PDP has been has been doing some really interesting stuff, and I mean we had a we had an excellent conversation with um with PDP's CDO, CEO. Sorry, mm -hmm. again I'm very congested, stupid cold. 
Uh, we had a great conversation about uh, branding. Yes, and rebranding. And rebranding. And going through the process of rebranding. It was a fascinating conversation. So if you're curious about, you know, what kind of went into that and why why they did it and, you know, some of the some of the reasons why it's been so successful, it's a, it's a great conversation to listen to. So this year when we went up, um, we were... Honestly, we were taking a look at some some additions to existing lines, mm-hmm. which was very cool. And we were looking at a brand new line, which we sort of talked about when we were debriefing from PAX. Yeah, the Realms line, I, I still find it extremely fascinating. Um, controllers have already started moving into this collectible area. Um, obviously, you've got uh, Microsoft especially has a lot of customizable or, co- or collectible style controllers, whether it's the new colors and the new colorways um, or it's themed controllers. Like my Forza controller. Like your Forza controller. I picked up the Starfield controller, which I think is gorgeous. But even back in the Xbox One era, I have the Titanfall controller. Um, there, You know, it's not a surprise to see things move in this direction. Realms takes that to the, to the next level where you've got controllers that have little miniatures in them. That and you can't take the miniatures out. No, no, they're not. They're not removable. Don't crack open your controller. Don't do it. Be but bad. they have like beautiful um, mm-hmm. scenery from the game. So right now they've have the Sonic. There's Sonic and Knuckles, and there's uh, the Pikmin one that they announced, mm-hmm. and that is up for pre-order. There's the yep. Transformers controller that has like a little Optimus Prime head in it, uh, which is really cool looking. And most of them are for Switch. And they have a couple that are for Xbox. Yes, that's correct. Now, the Xbox ones are wired. Unless I, I'm pretty sure that unless you... I don't know if Microsoft will let any third party have a wireless controller. I'm not entirely certain. I mean, like, this this can be wireless, I think. Can it? I think so. Or is it just... A, I don't know that it can. I'm not sure. I haven't tried it. Does it I'm, have... A, okay, does it have the audio port in the bottom? Because this is the big thing. It does, so that's wired. Okay. So this is the thing that, that, that we've learned is that, so on the switch, if you have a wireless controller, it won't have a, a headset port no. on the bottom of it. Uh, and well, that, that's an Xbox controller. I know that's though. an Xbox controller. Are I think you sure? That, yes. Okay. I think it's the same deal. Um, I just couldn't remember. Anyway, the, the, the new stuff that they were showing was quite beautiful. Yeah. In addition to the realms as well. The right. afterglow. Yes. The wave. Um, the right, waves. The afterglow wave. Yeah. Yeah. And they're doing some really interesting stuff with like glow in the dark as well. There is the black. Yeah, that is really cool. There was the cherry blossom one oh, that man. was gorgeous. There's um, that's there's the one some, I want. There's some Switch controllers that that are glow in the dark. There's a there's some Zelda ones, uh, you know, Breath of the Wild or mm-hmm. Tears of the Kingdom that that uh, they showed off. Uh, there's some other stuff coming. One of the things that's really cool is there is a baked in app that you can download on your Xbox if you're using the controller with your console. And then there's a PC app as well. Yeah, there is. If you're just using it on the PC, because you have this up mm-hmm. in our office, so that you can use it on your PC, so you can customize mm-hmm. the customize the the lighting profiles and all of that. I mean, I haven't done that because you know I was just at that point. So the the nice thing about a lot of the PDP's accessories, especially for someone that has like small hands like mine, um, my hands tend to cramp up really easily if I'm holding onto controllers for too long. But because they tend to be heavy, right? Mm-hmm. Well, both the Vitrix controller, which we got, you know, we got last year, yep. thanks to PDP, and the uh, the 
colorways from the new colorway from the Afterglow line. Um, again, it's nice and light. It feels feels good. I can't use Pro controllers because they're just too heavy for me. Mm. So it, it's nice to be able to have an alternative that is lightweight but doesn't feel shitty. You know, yeah. you wanna you wanna think back to the days of like when you gave your friends like your shitty controllers because you know otherwise they you know beat you at I don't know Tekken. <laughs> So, so yeah, it was, it was cool. Like we, we enjoy, we always enjoy our time hanging out with the nice folks over at PDP and I like what they're, I like what they're doing. I like that they're still managing to keep it, um, relatively accessible in terms of pricing as Mm -hmm. well. You know, gaming is a luxury and it's a luxury and a luxury, uh, segment of the market, right? Mm -hmm. We're entertainment, right? And having having nice controllers that don't cost you an arm and a leg, you know that's big, and it's big going into um, a holiday season where we're still where we're sitting in a recession. Yep, absolutely. And I think it's also really smart that they have the Vitrix line to delineate their kind of premium pro gamer line, right? From what you what you're gonna find it's on the like shelf what, necessarily maybe at a target right and it's it's kind of like what logitech does with astro gaming right right yeah you know they have their more accessible line which is just like your your lifestyle brand and then they have astro which is very much geared towards um obviously esports and that's mm-hmm. kind of what the vitrix line is for pdp absolutely all right so uh good talk good talk <laughs> uh let's move on uh we have lots to say unity yeah, since oh the last God. time we recorded the uh boy J- y- unity oh oh unity no oh, unity good times good times all right so um the big the big story here about unity is that um everyone's favorite least favorite ceo right now recipient of how many golden poo awards <laughs> exactly um John Riccatello has gotten the boot. So JR is actually going to be retiring as president, CEO, chairman, and board member, effective immediately. See so that's you, Johnny. now like a week ago? Yeah, it was effective immediately. Yeah. So it was like, it was about a week ago when we talked about this. So see you, Johnny boy. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. Um, that's a butt crack joke. It is a butt crack <laughs> joke. Honestly, if you all thought that I was any better than butt crack jokes, I'm so sorry. That is not the case. That's why she's with me. <laughs> the dog is very excited just to be in here. Yeah. He's like, I like recording time. You guys pay attention to me even that's more. Right. Uh, James Whitehurst has been appointed interim chief executive officer and president. Roloff Botha, uh, is, who was the lead independent director of the unity board has been appointed chairman. The board is going to be doing a quote, comprehensive search process to find a permanent CEO. But let's remember here, folks, JR was the fall guy here. Um, but there's a lot more going on at Unity than a CEO being a shitty CEO. Yeah, this was this is a board problem too. Oh, it's a big board problem, absolutely. So MobileGamer.biz honestly doing doing some seriously heckin' good work. And this is not the first time we've mentioned them or covered a story that they've no, no, no. They're doing real good work. They're doing excellent work. This was this was honestly a stellar story. Um, we've linked it in our sources, so absolutely go give it a read. I'm gonna I'm gonna go through some of the the highlights of it. So according to mobilegamer.biz, a number of sources inside Unity were just as frustrated and confused as the rest of us. So here's a direct quote. 
that uh, a source said to mobilegamer.biz, quote, half of the people in that meeting said that this model is too complicated, it's not going to be well received, and we should talk to people before we do this. We were told Unity had spoken to people, but they didn't tell us who. They obviously did have conversations with people, but not enough. Oof. That's I mean, that's, it's also not a surprise based no. on, based on how this all played out. Absolutely. I think that if it had been a much more regimented process where they had done a listening tour, if they had, you know, started to soft pitch this out, but here's the deal, Mike, mm-hmm. did you know that the reason why they're pursuing this particular angle is because they want to kill Applevin? I believe that that is part of what we, what we had said. Yeah, definitely was part. But of this was said. this was a boot on the throat. It was. So another source from within Unity told MobileGamer.biz, Applovin is dominating, and Unity tried to use this policy as a forcing agent to try to get back some of the market share. There is that right there is fuel for uh, an anti an anti competitive. Yep. Uh, accusation at the very least, whether there's enough. I don't think there's enough evidence in order to actually bring that, that it will come to any kind of conclusion. No, I mean, especially now, but, but this was clearly a a move to be anti-competitive. Absolutely. Let's use things that people need to force them into things that they don't need from us. Correct. That they need, but not from us. And therefore, um, you know, we jokingly said it would be a shame if nice app there would be a shame if something happened to it. Nice game. If it would be a shame if something happened to it, but it's true. And considering how much of the market, especially on the mobile side of the equation, uses Unity, Mm -hmm. it's it's enormous. If you're using a pricing scheme on one product to force people into purchasing or using or subscribing to another product, that's shitty. It's wrong. That is that is you using your your market dominance in one place to create leverage in another place where you don't have market dominance. And I like, mean, let's let's be real. Let's call a spade a spade. That's that's fucking capitalism. And at the same time, we got to call it out. Yeah, I, I if if you happen to be uh, a lawyer and you happen to have any insight on anti-competitive practice, oh, please hit us. Please up. let us know because, yeah. like, to me, like, I can see the argument where this is really anti-competitive, but. We're not you know lawyers. What? I'm not. I'm not a lawyer. I'm certainly not a lawyer in this regard. There are areas where I know a little bit more. Than, Contract than law is not quite the same thing. No. So you know the final the final piece on this from the mobile gamer piece. And again, I really think you all should read this because I I think that what the the driving force of this piece was. Listen, the big guys are going to set their own prices anyway. This is to screw over the small developers. Mm-hmm. That's what this story was. And it it's honestly, it's framed really well. So go, go and read it. But here's the last thing that I'm going to say on it from, from this story. Quote, I don't think it was done maliciously. And this was from a Unity insider. Um, ultimately, Unity has lost a lot of money over the last 18 years, billions of dollars, and they need to do something to make more money. Sadly, it wasn't delivered well, but the need to make more money is still there. Yeah, and I don't think that anybody argues with that fact that Unity needs to find its way to profitability. This was just very much not the way. This was definitely not the way. And, I, and I'm and i not even sure that government contracts, you know, and defense contracts are the bloody way. Mm-hmm. There's clearly this business model is not working. And somebody is going to have to sit down and by somebody, I mean, you know, 
their financial wizards or whatever working at, at Unity are going to have to sit down and no, actually <laughs> and actually figure out a plan that isn't going to completely alienate mm-hmm. literally everybody. Yep, absolutely. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, Microsoft has reported its earnings for first quarter of fiscal 24. We are not going to talk about the Activision acquisition here, which, uh, as you can tell from the episode title, has closed. We'll cover that at the end of Investment Interlude because I always want to close with a biggie. There we go. So we're going to hit Microsoft's earnings first, which are unaffected by the acquisition That's because correct. the acquisition happened <clears throat> in Q2. Uh, and this the earnings here are Q1. Correct. Man, take All it right. For the overall company first, because again, for the big ones, we tend to want to make sure that everybody knows what's kind of going on. So overall at Microsoft, revenue was $56.5 billion, which is up 13% year over year. Operating income was $26.9 billion, up 25% year over year. We are trending up across the board in either the single or double digits, depending on the segment across the company. So it was a strong quarter for Microsoft overall. And in more personal computing, which is Xbox's segment, let's break that down. Revenue in more personal computing was $13.7 billion, up 3% year over year, driven both by gaming and by Windows. Xbox contents and services revenue was up 13% year over year, while gaming revenue is up 9% year over year. According to CFO Amy Hood, this is driven by better than expected subscriber growth in Xbox Game Pass, as well as first party content primarily due to the Starfield launch. Yep. And we had talked about like wanting to see the impact of Starfield mm-hmm. and seeing that it took number one even while launching on Game Pass, at least in the US, right? Yeah. And then looking at these numbers and them acknowledging that Starfield was a major contributor. I mean, that's that's really good news. It is very good That is good really news. good news. Um, overall, Xbox hardware revenue is down 7% year over year. But again, that's not surprising given that we are heading into the holiday season. There's not a, there wasn't a ton of reason to buy an Xbox in Q1. Mm-hmm. Um, because you could play Starfield on your PC. Yeah. So there's that as well. Um, one thing I want to I want to call out real quick before we move through. I saw that uh, the bonus structure for CEO Satya Nadella has changed a little bit, mm-hmm. and that Xbox Game Pass growth is no longer a factor in his bonus calculation. Okay. The, the, I mean, it's part of the transition, right, from user acquisition to user retention for, to user retention. User yeah. acquisition is very expensive. User retention is expensive in a different way. Yes. So something to consider about Xbox Game Pass and and everything going on there. Clearly, Microsoft is dialing down its expectations about whether or not um, about what success means with regards to Xbox Game Pass. They are clearly the strategy is shifting. We knew it was going to shift. We knew it was going to shift probably this year. So it's uh, we'll see how 2024 ends up playing out. Calendar 24 plays out and the rest of fiscal 24. Mm-hmm. In terms of the um, Activision acquisition, there was just a very minor um, comment from Amy Hood. They are expecting gaming revenue growth in the mid to high 40s as a, as a result of the acquisition. And they're expecting Xbox content and services revenue to grow in the mid to high 50s. Yeah. That's, That's not organic growth. Nope. That is just accretive of the Activision. Deal. That's correct. That's all, all that is, is they are just adding more, more treasure to the pile, yes. essentially. Um, 
Overall, with Microsoft, there was lots of hubbub around AI in the presentation, but, you know, this is also coming from an actual tech company and not, you know, I don't know. Yeah, one of the things... Square Enix. One of the things that they're implementing into Teams is the ability to automatically <clears throat> transcribe and summarize meetings. And that when is really done, great. That's really great because as someone who is pretty good about taking notes during meetings because, um, you know, we, we like to circulate notes after the fact to make sure everybody's on the same page we did the same thing in our last jobs right mm -hmm. um you know have having an ai do that and get us 90 percent of the way there where we got to go through and clean up and maybe reformat a little bit would be really helpful so that i'm able mm -hmm. to focus on the meeting and not have to split my attention yeah absolutely and i mean listen process that kind of thing is is improving process and it's it's helping to not increase productivity necessarily, but it's helping people to do their jobs more effectively mm -hmm. and not get stuck in the in the minutia. Yep. So that is something that we can be fully supportive of. Generative AI, not so much. Yeah, process and process AI versus Gen AI. Um, Microsoft also reorganized its uh, gaming division. Yeah, they the definitely leadership. did. Um, this is really interesting because if you looked at the way things were before. Uh, there was a bit of a firewall, as you noted in the notes, between Microsoft tentative. and ZeniMax. It was, it was definitely tentative between um, Zeni and Microsoft yeah. Gaming. And I think it was ZeniMax folks were reporting directly into Phil. Yeah. And so that included um, leadership inclusive of Pete Hines, who, you know, we, we, we'll note this in, in quick hits, but Pete's retiring. Um, and after 24 years... That's incredible. It's incredible. What a and, run. And, and look, I, I mean, I'm biased. I and love I, Pete. Yeah, Pete's so. a good dude. Yeah, big, big Pete fan. So why don't you walk us through what's going on here? Yeah, absolutely. So um, like Mike said, you know, that tentative firewall between Zenny and Microsoft appears to be coming down. There is, there's definitely some, some shakeup that I wasn't anticipating. Yeah. And there was some shakeup that was really pleasant to see. Yeah. I mean, real quickly... Redfall seems to be where people are gravitating in terms of this. In terms of, um, you know, what it looks like to, to properly share resources and ensure that teams get the things that they need in order to mm -hmm. achieve success. Because, I mean, listen, game development is, we, t we say this all the time, it's, it's a miracle. It's a miracle anything ships, it's a miracle anything gets yep. done. It's just, it's a series of little miracles all the way around. Yeah, um, I, I just... Yeah, I, I don't know if Redfall is, and I use this word very loosely, quote, to blame. No, um, it's not. But I think that... It, it could be a catalyst, though. Right. Um, and, and seeing how something like Redfall might have been better supported if there had been a more open, yeah. uh, a more open structure so that, you know, the folks over on the Zenny side knew that they could come to the folks on the Microsoft side. And, and vice versa, yeah. you know, knowing that that knowledge share is, is open, open mm -hmm. communication. Now, again, it's a corporation folks, nothing's cut and dry like that. One thing I do want to note is that there are a lot more women on this leadership team. Yeah. In fact, once Bobby Kotick leaves at the end of this year, surprise, he's staying on through the end of 2023. And then he is taking his giant golden parachute and jumping out of the plane to Epstein Island. Um, <laughs> I am never not going to, I'm never not going to gravitate to that. This yeah. Just, it's just beautiful. Uh, there will be more women on the leadership team than men. 
Which, good for Phil, good for Sacha, because... And I mean, listen, there's there's a lot to like about the, you know, like, seeing Dave McCarthy um, getting his flowers as chief operating officer at Microsoft Gaming is great. Like, now, didn't you talk to him about yeah. Game Pass? No, I not Game Pass. I talked to him about a lot of the family safety stuff. Oh, got um, it. Because okay. he, he was in New York a number of years ago, back when I was a super parent, and, like, we, we talked very extensively about Microsoft's commitment to um, content moderation, mm-hmm. to families, to safety, and everything like that. And that's something that has been part of the DNA at Xbox, uh, you know, it goes all the way back to Steven Toulouse. You know, yeah, of course. You know, yeah. Rest in peace. Um, that's still, that one still hurts. Um, so seeing Dave McCarthy um, really getting the recognition that he deserved um, from my perspective, again, he's not a friend or anything like that. And, you know, we're not anything more than just acquaintances, but I, I very much enjoyed the conversations that we've had um, in the past. So, more women on the leadership team. This is great. Love to see Sarah Bond winning. Yes. Sarah, I like Sarah Bond a lot. is honestly, she is such a joy to see on the stage mm-hmm. every E3, every not E3, um, <laughs> during the Xbox showcase. It's just seeing her seeing her get recognized for the incredible work that she's done and the ways in which she has affected this very positive change at Microsoft Gaming. It's just, it's really beautiful. So she is actually stepping into a new role as president of Xbox. Now, she is going to be on the platform and hardware side, mm-hmm. whereas Matt Booty will be stepping into president of game content and studios, and partner studios will be reporting into him. So now it seems like, if we understood things correctly, there is now a step <clears throat> removed between ZeniMax Bethesda and Phil. So it's reporting into Matt and Matt's going to be overseeing all of Phil's that. a Phil's a busy guy. Phil is a very busy guy. He's a very busy guy. So um you know, here's what here's what Phil said in a memo to staff, quote, "Great games are fundamental to everything we do. We believe that an expanded gaming content organization, one that enables Xbox Game Studios and ZeniMax's development studios to collaborate effectively together, will empower those world-class studios to do their best work." in growing our portfolio of games players love. Yeah. That's a big one, Yeah, right? absolutely. So uh, the Xbox leadership team, Microsoft gaming leadership team, whatever the heck you want to call them, um, need to find a replacement for Boss Baby Bobby ASAP because he's leaving by the end of the year, which is going to leave, you know, Activision, Activision Blizzard um, without, I guess, somebody sitting in that leadership position. But not necessarily needing someone because they could have... Hopefully that C-suite gets majorly shaken up, but have them report into Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I would imagine that they're all going to report into Matt anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't know if at V is, is going to remain like a thing, right? It, it's likely going to be those individual studios will sit under that business segment. I don't know. It's a lot of studios. We'll see. I'll be very interested it could to be, see. I, I expect we're going to end up in a similar situation to where Bethesda is now. Where you're going to have a leadership also, structure in there, but they're going to report in. But Bethesda was also in a much stronger leadership position mm, than yeah. Activision Blizzard is because of all of the issues, you know, company-wide. Yeah. Corporate-wide, essentially, in in many avenues of, like, very, very broken studios that have broken cultures that just don't work anymore. Mm-hmm. So we'll see... But maybe this is the exception. And we'll see how this ends up playing out. Yeah, I I think the most important thing is, are we going to see... I'm very 
excited to see what happens now with workforce unionization because of Microsoft's very clear and reaffirmed recently stance on labor neutrality, which would, which would effectively say, if you decide that you want to unionize, we are going to acknowledge your union. You're not going to have to, you're not going to have to go to the NLRB for a vote. Look, the, the thing that I want everyone to recognize here is that this leadership shakeup, even though it looks promising, even though it looks solid, we don't know the kinds of ramifications that both the, the merger is going to have and we don't know what it's going to say about talent. It, like, we don't know. Are there going to be redundancies that are going to be surfaced? Are there going to be another, is there going to be another round of mass layoffs? We're hoping not. Mm-hmm. But considering how terrible this year has gone for talent in the game industry, I'm yeah. not hopeful. So just whatever, wherever you are, if you're sitting, you're sitting in at V and you're, you're waiting for the end of the year, just, you know, we're wishing you the best Absolutely. of luck. Absolutely. We hope that this turns you. into the labor win that we have that always we hoped have, it was going to be. Exactly. And I'm, I'm worried that because of the macroeconomic forces at work that we were wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really hope that we weren't. Yep. All right. Moving on to our second and final earnings for the show. Big top half, but we'll be able to move through the rest pretty quickly. Capcom has reported its earnings for the first half of fiscal year 24. So this is six months. And what will surely come as no surprise to listeners, Capcom had a heck in Q2. And they are off to a killer start for the first half of the year. Not surprising. Net sales were up year over year 53% to 74.9 billion yen or $498.3 million dollars. Operating income was up 55% to 33.8 billion yen or $225 million. And net income was up 57% to 25.3 billion yen or $168.1 million. Highlights include strong digital sales bolstered by major new titles. No big surprise here. Street Fighter VI doing extremely well at 2.47 million units sold already. Good for them. Capcom sold 22.6 million units for the first half of fiscal 24. That's up from 21.3 million units in the first half of last year. So units, 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 absolute units, units, uh, amusement equipment saw sales and profit increases as well. And Capcom's on track for its 11th consecutive year of operating income growth. Interesting. So 11 years takes us to 2013, which was the beginning of their three R's approach. That's true. Yep. That's really, it was at the very, it was at the very, very beginning. Yes. That, so that was when they were they were experimenting a little bit and figured out, oh crap, people will buy good remasters, remakes, and reboots because if we do them well. Konami, take a f-ing page out of Capcom's book. The Metal Gear Solid collection is not good, man. What are you doing? Take better care of your legacy. Boo. Back to Capcom. Uh, digital content. Sales. So this is where your, your HD games and uh mobile games live and everything Mm -hmm. sales were up 70 percent good to 61.3 billion yen or 407.4 million dollars operating income was up 58 percent to 34.5 billion yen or 229.4 million dollars strong performance from street fighter 6 and i love seeing this called out the Mega Man battle network legacy collection volumes one and two you're such a dork i am you have to play those games you will love them what time do I have? I don't know. You've already told me that I'm playing Destiny today and I already feel like garbage. We, so Yeah, because we're running out of time. Oh, Jesus. We're running out of time. Uh, let's see. Exoprimal had more than 1 million users. It launched on Game Pass. So mm-hmm. uh, I actually bought it on Steam. Uh, I have not yet played it, but I bought it on Steam. Uh, Resident Evil 4, the remake, 
hit 5.45 million units, and catalog titles were up year over year, reaching 17.6 million units compared to 16.05 million last year. This is not just about the strength of new titles. This is about Capcom really taking good care of its legacy. Yeah, And keeping those titles fresh and doing really smart pricing and discounting. I, I just love watching Capcom. Like, I love seeing this success story. So really happy about that. Running through the rest of their business. Arcade operations. Sales were up 25% to 9.2 billion yen or $61 million. Operating income for arcade operations was up 67% to 1.1 billion yen or $7.5 million. So COVID has gone through a reclassification in in Japan. It's now in the same category as the seasonal flu. Got it. So that's a big part of their arcade operations stepping back up. This also includes the opening of a kids' benet store that features playground equipment for kids and a crazy benet interactive amusement facility. So they are opening new places where families can go and enjoy themselves. Gotcha. Uh, Amusement equipment. Sales were down 14% to 2.6 billion yen or $17.3 million. Operating income, though, was up 4% to 1.8 billion yen or $11.8 million. And then just the other businesses, sales were down 29% and operating income was down 51%. That's, That's where they're licensing yeah comes in so that's going to fluctuate when you have movies come out when you've got the animated resident evil stuff coming out all of that stuff contributes to the ebb and flow of the other businesses yeah absolutely and that is everything from capcom again no big surprise that they are trucking right along they really do have a grasp of what to do with their catalog and how to handle their franchises additionally it looks like they have one more major title to release in this fiscal year, which ends on March 31st. Interesting. And we are heading into, I believe, a major anniversary for Monster Hunter. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. I don't think Monster Hunter is just going to, they're going to be like, oh, by the way, we're really, like, announce at the Game Awards and be like, oh, yeah, this new Monster Hunter game is coming out in February or whatever. I don't know. I don't think that that'll end up being the case. No. I'll buy it. I will play it. I love it. I, I hope that whatever comes next is an answer to world because I just want, I want the feeling of world again. Yeah. That's really what We need I want. to play more Rise though. Cause I think. Rise didn't capture me in the same way. It yeah. Just didn't. I think world, the scout flies were so, were such a good, good piece of that game. The world was just really good. Yeah. Just in general. Yep. All right. But before and we move on yes. to investment interlude. Yes. We're going to take a break. Virtual Economy is an F-squared initiative, and along with pro bono business consulting for up-and-coming developers, it's a way we are working to give back to the community that has already given us so much. To find out more about F-squared and the services we can provide, including pitch prep, media training, mock reviews, and business strategy guidance, visit our website at fsquared.biz. And we are back with Investment Interlude. Where, what do we talk about on this, on this segment? Uh, sometimes we talk about money, uh-huh. money. Uh-huh. What's the third thing? That money! There it is. Yeah. So, hey, remember FaZe Clan? I wish I didn't. I'm sorry. Yes, I do. <laughs> remember it's $725 million acquisition about a year ago? I, I do remember that. Do you remember how we talked about it being so incredibly overvalued and completely banana pants? You mean after they shot for a billion dollar valuation and didn't get it? Yeah. Yeah. You remember all that? I do. In fact, remember all that. Well, dear listeners, as you know, this hasn't gone terribly well. The valuation fell off a cliff nearly immediately, which has led to a recent NASDAQ delisting warning. So real quickly, if your stock price, if you're on the NASDAQ and your share price falls below a dollar and it sits there for, for too long, NASDAQ's like, you got to bring that ish up. 
And I think we talked about this on the last show very briefly as yeah. well. So, and if you don't, you get delisted. There are some ways to mitigate this, but for the most part, like, if you get to this point... And there ain't no coming back. Well, us. I mean, THQ, I think, had was warned three times. It was only in the third time where they uh, they fell apart. FaZe Clan is not THQ. FaZe Clan is not THQ. It's not THQ. THQ no. had many, many years under its belt in, yes. in making games. FaZe Clan doesn't even make games. Yep. So the ailing esports slash lifestyle brand was just acquired by gaming analytics and rival esports company GameSquare for a paltry, wait for it, $17 million all stock deal. No cash. No cash. No cash. Woof. Woof. Huge woof. So GameSquare is co-owned by Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones the company also owns comple- the Complexity Esports team and brand. Mm-hmm. And original FaZe Clan leadership is returning to the brand. This includes Richard FaZe Banks Bankson as CEO, Thomas FaZe Temper Oliveira as president, and Yusuf FaZe Apex Abdel Fattah as chief operating officer. Neat. They're just a little guy. Again. They're just a little guy, all right? $725 million dollar overinflated valuation, which nobody who was part of that company really got to enjoy because it fell off the cliff like 80% right away. Because it was 17 com- million all stock deal. This is I, I humbling. Yeah. The word is humbling. Yeah. Be humbled by this. Yeah, there's a good Kendrick Lamar um song that's oh. literally called Humble. Yeah, sing it for me. No. Oh. No, I will not. But oh. like the 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 gist of it is sit down, bitch, be humble. Okay. So I, I think you know there's a lot to say about the esports bubble, which you and I have talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. But I think in this case, I even covered it back in the day. Yeah, I think in this case, what you've got is you've got a brand that was extremely edgy. I like, guess that's an interesting way to put it. They sure. they were they definitely were on the it's like shit posting, but real bad. Anyway, it, there was a lot of things in that in that mix that just didn't work out, uh, and here we are. And here we are. So moving on, uh, Exola, which invests in games and provides payment solutions to developers, has acquired Lightstream, Rainmaker, and API.stream. Um, Exola is really interesting, but you might recall that we covered Exola because of the CEO, which did some really bad stuff. Uh, with regards to mass layoffs. Yeah. yeah, and just like being toxic as heck. Uh, there are great people at Exola, by the way. Oh, definitely. There are people I love there mm-hmm. uh, that work there. and Yeah, no shade against the people that are actually in the trenches, but like... It's a complicated company. Let's put it that way. Sure, that's an interesting way to put it. So yeah. like, what's the what's the deal here? So Lightstream offers cloud-based streaming services, so which is really interesting. that's interesting, yep. yeah. Uh, Rainmaker is a platform for key distribution to content Right, creators. and I remember using Rainmaker back when you and I were streaming. Yep, and API.stream is a video production solution. Interesting. Yep, so no terms were disclosed. It's a very interesting move into the streaming space mm. for Exola. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. all three of these obviously touch video production and streaming. Yeah. Very interesting. Moving right along, a Sweden-based Modern Times group has announced the acquisition of a majority stake in Stockholm, Sweden-based developer Snowprint. Now, if you don't know who Snowprint is, Snowprint is the studio behind the most excellent Warhammer 40k Tacticus mobile game. I played a bunch of it. I, I actually ended up playing a bunch of it as well. Um, you know, 
solid, solid stuff. And honestly, if somebody hasn't written the story about Games Workshop and their approach to licensing... I tried. They wouldn't respond to my emails when I was a Game Informer. No, no, no. I know that. But I wonder if because they're leader, they've had these leadership shakeups, I wonder if they would be willing to have that conversation at some point. Yeah. Listen, if you work at Games Workshop and you listen to this show, hit us up. We'd love to tell that story because that's fascinating. Yes. Um, MTG also owns Inno Games, Congregate, and more. Uh, more Swedish moves. Fragbite has announced a deal to acquire Fall Damage, which is working on the upcoming free-to-play PvP game Alara Prime. I don't even remember that game. Neither. Uh, the deal is worth 20 MSEC. That's $1.8 million up front, half in cash, and the rest in shares. Space Rock Games, the New Zealand studio working on its debut game, Criminals Within, has received a $900,000 investment. Hilferance Venture Capital led the round. The studio received $650,000 in investment in February of 2022 from Hilferance and the New Zealand Growth Capital Partners. Oh, hey, wait, there's one more Sweden one. <laughs> Uh, Avalanche Studios, based in Sweden, is expanding to Montreal. This expansion follows the acquisition of Monster Closet, which is a Montreal-based studio founded in 2021 by industry vets. Montreal is the fifth location for Avalanche Studios Group. All right. All right, last one. The last thing we got on here, folks, we're closing out Investment Interlude with the big one, and hopefully we don't have to talk about this anymore. Oh, I really hope For so. a long time, Microsoft has finally completed its purchase of Activision Blizzard. Yes. After the UK Competition Markets Authority cleared the way, the 20-month saga of Microsoft's acquisition of Call of Duty maker Activision finally over. The approved deal includes ceding cloud streaming rights to Ubisoft. Uh, Microsoft is going to take it slow, they say, with getting Activision games onto Game Pass, with tentpole titles likely to take a longer time. Uh, I personally have some big dreams here. Uh, the return of Skylanders would be great in a way that those games can thrive without the toys to life element. Um, we saw Ubisoft do that really well with Starlink, where you can just buy the digital packs or whatever. But I think just bringing those games back as a collection where you unlock characters There's through a, a lot of coins, like you earn coins or gems in game and then you can unlock more characters would be really cool. There's a lot of nostalgia around Skylanders these they were, days. They because... were very competent action RPG games with great writing and great set piece moments. And I just really want to play them again. At any rate, you are not the target market. You were never the target market. It was targeted to kids. Those kids have grown. Yes. And these kids, much like we did when we got older, when we were heading into our 20s, they're looking backward. Yeah. And they're looking backward fondly on a lot of these older properties. One of them that has been surfacing more and more that I've been hearing among some of my friends that have older kids that are have older teenagers, they are all unironically very interested in playing remastered versions of Skylanders. Oh my God. It would be so, so good. I, I look, I... I know I've been the I've been the Toys to Life stand since the very beginning. You really have been. But Skylanders really was revolutionary. The portal, yeah, it was cumbersome to play. The more figures you had, and it kind of got a little bit overwhelming uh, with the sheer amount of plastic. And we have all of our Skylanders. The only one that I really that I didn't buy into was the last year because they did some things that I thought were very anti-consumer. You could create your own Skylander, but you had to buy these little crystals. That's so weird. But the crystals couldn't be rewritten. Oh. And that's the thing that I didn't love. Like, just let people rewrite like rewrite their stuff. But I think there is a way to do it where if you use in-game currency that you collect to unlock new characters, then you are still enhancing that collection element 
and and playing into that, but you're doing it in a way that is uh, more compatible with with modern sensibilities. Um, the other games that I would really like, to, I'd like to see Microsoft go back to the table with Disney and figure out if there is a way to bring the Spider-Man games that were really good that are no oh, longer available. Shattered Dimensions being Shattered the big Dimensions one. Shattered Dimensions was great. And I missed that one entirely. And yeah, that was a great the one. hook there was four different Spider-Men. It was, um, I think, Ultimate. It was the 616 Spider-Man, Spider-Man Noir, and Spider-Man 2099. But this isn't a video game podcast, folks. Shh, yes, it is right now. Uh, the cool thing there was each of the characters who voiced one of the different Spider-Men had voiced him in a cartoon. Got it. So that was really cool. But of course, with this consolidation, which we were just talking about with regards to the Microsoft leadership reorg, along with this consolidation does come a lot of fear. And yep. we do have another grim labor report today, and we are going to be watching very very closely to see what happens with Activision labor. Yep. And we a, want this to be a success story. We do. We really do. And part of that success story starts with leadership leaving. We know Bobby Kotick is leaving at the end of the year. I do not expect he will be the only one. Bye, boss, baby, Bobby. Exactly. And that wraps up Investment Interlude. And with that comes... It's time for Quick hits i'm really glad that i don't have to sing that because i'm just so congested. one day i will be sick and i'll be like it's a quick hit. i think that we'll just we'll just make me do it at that point all right um you heard it here fo- first folks man is gonna sing the quick hit song i didn't say that That's if you're sick do. then we'll do that i don't know no one i i don't stop it anyway moving on moving quick on hits. yay yeah a new playstation is coming yes. well two of them well ish okay so let's let's break it down. Yeah. The new PlayStation Five. No, no, we're not we're not breaking it down. No, like I guess that. I'm just putting a beat. No, on there. you're keep not. Going, that's not. Going. You're not dropping a beat. Oh my god. Are you? Go done? on. No, we're not doing this. Get I, get no, it. I've I have warned you. What? I have warned you. What? I'm just dropping a beat. You, I do you talk not over the beat. You. That's no. how this goes. You can, you no. can even rap it if you want. I'm not. I don't feel well, Mikey. I oh. just want to get through okay, it. Okay, that's why I'm doing the beat. No, I don't boom, want you to boom, do boom, the boom, damn boom, beat. Does anyone want to, like, take him off my hands? Take him off his, take him off his, take him off his hands. Yeah. Oh my god, Michael. Okay, can I finish it? Oh my god, stop. That was such wasted time for no reason. Um, the new PlayStation 5. You guys love Michael! <laughs> the new PlayStation 5 Slim is a modular console that can be equipped with an optional disk drive, which is very cool. I enjoyed my... I think the last time I had a PlayStation Slim of any kind, I think it was PlayStation 2. Yeah, with the this, cool slidey thing. That th- You know cover. what? I loved, I loved my PlayStation. I still have it. It's mm-hmm. sitting downstairs. I bought a beautiful skin for it and everything. Mm-hmm. It was so pretty. Anyway, so that's the new PlayStation 5 Slim. This gives digital console owner, owners the opportunity to wipe away that physical media FOMO and also to play their PlayStation 4 discs. Mm-hmm. The pricing is as follows, and this is just in the U.S., so apologies for folks outside of the U.S. We do not have everybody's pricing structures. Um, the disc-based version is going to be $499.99. The digital only is $449.99, which is an increase of $50 bucks in the U.S. Now, remember, PlayStation jumped the prices everywhere but the U.S. Correct. A year ago or so. That's right. Uh, the disc drive, so the optional disc drive, is $80. And if you want to stand, 
it no longer comes with the console. That'll run you an extra 30. Interestingly, one of the things that popped out after I, I wrote up these notes is that if you go to connect the disk drive to a digital, you have to go on the internet. Like, that has to call home in order to enable it. PlayStation phone home? PlayStation phone home. Now, I think someone in our community pointed out that that was very likely a move to prevent uh, third-party knockoffs. Oh, I hadn't considered that. But yeah, that makes that makes sense. Which... At some point, they're going to need to either remove that or update. I don't know what they're going to need to do, but that's not a long-term viable solution. No, I agree. All right, moving right along. Yeah. Uh, so at TwitchCon last week, yeah, last week, uh, they announced that after a long-time ban preventing simulcasting, so you you cannot, up until this point, you were not allowed to stream on Twitch and also at the exact same time stream to Facebook Gaming or YouTube. Only if you were an affiliate or partner. Mm-hmm. That's cr- that. Otherwise, really? yes. It okay. is only if you signed the paperwork that said, "I'm now a Twitch affiliate." Okay. And partners also had to follow. That. I wasn't sure about that because I I looked. I did some research and I saw people saying like like there was a blanket ban. No. Okay. It was for affiliates. Like yep. it was the the ban was for affiliates and for partners. If you were not considered an affiliate and therefore were not making money right off okay. of Got your it. work with. Twitch, then yeah, you could do what you wanted. That makes sense. Um, so you were always able to repurpose content. So take clips and put them on TikTok or or Instagram reels or whatever, but not live stream to other platforms if you're an affiliate or a partner. Uh, so with the exception of top tier creators that do have exclusivity written into their bespoke contracts, uh, you'll be allowed to simultaneously stream your content to Twitch and any other platform. Additionally, this is a big one. If creators dissolved their contracts with Twitch to jump to another platform, they are being welcomed back, welcomes back, provided that they hadn't broken the TOS before leaving. Okay, interesting. So if you were kicked off the platform because you broke the TOS, that's one thing. Like, you're not going to be welcomed back with open arms. But if you only left because of the exclusivity agreement, Twitch is like, come back. We'll sign a partner agreement with you again. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I mean, like, that's very positive stuff from Twitch. It's, you know, definitely in complete opposite direction of quite frankly a litany of unforced errors over the years yes so very very interesting change i think it'll be very useful for um getting more people to come back to twitch and potentially making them more money because capitalism all right moving on quantic dream has been found in breach of security obligations over quote obscene material oh man this story's been going on for a while this story's been going on since 2017 2018 oh boy so a paris court of appeals has confirmed that the french developer has been in breach of sorry has been in breach of security obligations by allowing people in the office to share questionable photos within the office hmm This case was originally brought in 2017 after a a report of toxicity, according to Lucine Digital, and has been through the legal ringer ever since. The original ruling in this wrongful term, the the initial ruling was um, in this wrongful termination suit, had the court originally siding with the former employee, prompting this particular appeal. This is very complicated, just to be clear. It is a number of different moving pieces over yeah. the years. And this one is very specifically about wrongful termination with regards to, um, with regards to this. Yeah. I mean, just there were photoshopped <clears throat> lewd pictures of this, of this woman 
who was an employee circulated. Not just her, but of David Cage, of a number of people in the office that were considered, and, and a lot of these, these photoshopped images um, were not... They, they were not tasteful. No. I, I suppose that's probably the easiest way of saying it is they were not tasteful. Yeah. So the court only sided with the former employee opposite Quantic Dream um, in, in this particular security obligation issue. Mm-hmm. So it's not that they're completely overturning it, but they're only, yeah, anyway. So the uh, appeals court rejected requests that Quantic Dream face discriminatory harassment charges and that the employee's dismissal be annulled which means that this is likely not over. Hmm. So they are only siding with the employee on the digital, the security obligations okay. um, with regards to these images. According to Lucine Digital, the quote, proliferation of these inappropriate images carried risks for employees and their mental health. There was an excellent story that um, Danielle Riando over at Game Developer put together about this that we're, um, that we're quoting from. So this is directly from, from her work. The original lawsuit was prompted by a 2017 report of a toxic workplace that alleged employees were subjected to homophobic and sexist images, including one infamous example where studio founder David Cage's face was superimposed on the body of a male stripper holding a power tool with a sex toy attached. A collection of 600 photoshopped images deemed homophobic and sexist were created by employees and shared around the office via email. Yep. Uh, real quickly, we mentioned this earlier. Uh, Bethesda head of publishing Pete Hines has announced he's retiring from the company. Um, I could spend a lot of time talking about Pete. Uh, we've known each other for a number of years. Um, just really congratulations on the retirement. It's well earned. Uh, would love to have you on the show at some point. Um, because you've but got, like go on a vacation, bro. go on a vacation, hang out with the puppies, uh, hang out with the fam. Like, just enjoy. You've earned it. Uh, Closing out quick hits with some milestones this week. Uh, Dredge, which I have been meaning to play, Amanda has loved, uh, has sold 1 million units. Minecraft is still the best-selling game of all time with 300 million units sold, about 100 million more units than the number two title, Grand Theft Auto V. Wild. Uh, Lies of P has sold 1 million units, no doubt boosted by strong Game Pass adoption. Yeah, I'm very, you know, I wasn't very interested in it before, but I've gone and watched a couple of Let's Plays. Yeah, this game might be my nonsense. Really? I gotta get back to Jedi Survivor before I pick up any other Soulsy games. All right. uh, Monster Hunter Now, which is the latest Niantic geolocation AR game, has already surpassed 10 million downloads. Speaking of Souls games, Lords of the Fallen, the sequel to Lords of the Fallen, (laughs) has sold 1 million units in its first 10 days. The Outer Worlds, Obsidian's lighthearted first-person RPG that I personally adored, has moved 5 million units since its launch in 2019. Good for y'all. Yeah. And finally, Spider-Man 2, which uh, everybody else except me is playing right now because our youngest I'm has... I'm not playing it okay. either. Our, our youngest has, has, has taken over. Uh, it arrived while I was out of town and she jumped right into it. And so uh, did our husband. Yes. Uh, it's now PlayStation's fastest-selling game with 2.5 million units in the first day. This is likely at least... $175 million Ooh. gross. Um, the previous beats, if you're really confused about the number and and them saying this is the fastest selling game, it's because they've moved the, they've changed the framing on that, that title uh, multiple times. So previous to this, God of War Ragnarok sold 5.1 million units in five days, which made it the fastest selling game at the time. 
Before that, it was The Last of Us Part Two that sold 4 million units in three days. Again, they're changing the, the unit of measurement here. So it... It's weird. It's weird. That was the fastest selling game. And then the first Insomniac Spidey game was also the, fa the fastest selling game when it came out. 3.3 million units in three days. There we go. Yep. And with that... And those were quick hits. Yay. All right. Buckle up. No. Oh. Labor report time. No. Yep. And then we got some good listener questions, though. We definitely do. So, uh, another rough week. First up, more Sweden. Hooray. Bad times edition. Uh, after laying off a significant portion of the staff this summer, Paradox has announced it is parting ways with the Lamplighters League developer Harebrained Schemes. This is, this is part and parcel of Paradox's priority shift. Um, and we had talked about when Ebba Lungerud was there, part of that was expanding Paradox beyond grand strategy and simulation. And then there were a couple of stumbles there. She left, Fred Wester came back as CEO and refocused the company on strategy games, grand strategy games and simulation games. Mm -hmm. Uh, not that City Skylines 2 is doing terribly well right now. Listen, that's what happens when you don't deal with your LODs, folks. Yep. 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 There's yep. there's a little bit of the game developer stuff that I've picked up over the last couple of months dealing you wanna, with them. Do you want to explain what an LOD is? Uh, I can't competently explain it, but we had a discussion about this at my studio about um, what happens is when you don't optimize your LODs and mm -hmm. you end up rendering very, very small sprites with full animation rigs you end up absolutely bottlenecking your, your frame rate, uh, which is what's happening here. That no matter what kind of PC you're running, no matter what kind of hardware you're running, you're bottlenecked and potentially like completely frying your GPU in some cases. So be very careful in optimizing your LODs apparently. Yeah. Um, additionally, <clears throat> I would say that the Lamplighters League, which did show up in a couple of showcases, was otherwise not really given a spotlight. I, I don't think there, I, I mean, it, I, I had no idea that it was even coming out because like <sighs> Harebrained makes games that I love. Yeah. I, I really feel like the marketing spend on this was sub basement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that they're not shuttering the studio, but this does mean that Harebrained Schemes is currently searching for funding. And quite frankly, after falling in love with both Battletech and the, especially the Shadowrun trilogy, oh, honestly, I, I am never, really hoping the team is I'd able to I've never stay played a Shadowrun video game that I loved until mm -hmm. Harebrain made them. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, in more crappy news, Embracer has made even more cuts and we definitely do not expect them to stop anytime soon. Zen Studios is the latest with approximately 30 people now out of work. The studio was hovering around 70 people in 2021. Uh, Embracer is also laying off 35 people at Digic. Uh, prior to this, the studio employed 325 people, including 40 to 50 freelancers. Embracer says the company would like to keep some of the laid off people on a fixed term contract or as project based freelancers. That feels bad. Oh, we're, we're going to take away your full time job, but we'll keep you on for a, a contract. We'll keep you on for a pittance, more yeah. like that. Um, taking a look at the UK. Frontier, which is the uh, studio behind Jurassic World, Evolution Games, and Elite Dangerous, is reportedly poised for layoffs as well. We do not ha have word on how severe the cuts will be. Uh, also in the UK, Eurogamer is reporting that Team 17 cuts that we previously reported could be even more severe than we feared. Eurogamer sources suggest that a third of the company's approximately 270 people may be laid off. 
Uh, we had heard unconfirmed reports about this one last week, uh, but we wanted to wait until we understood the situation better. So, Mike, I want to let you take us through this one because okay. this is your story. So, Virtuous, which is a co-development company, they have a number of co-development studios around the world, has announced the closure of Calypt or Calypti. Uh, the San Francisco studio, which was Virtuous's first in North America, is already shut down. Um, and they were a codev studio, but while they were based in San Francisco, they were fully remote. So they didn't have the baggage of corporate real estate. And in some cases may have been paying lower wages than Bay area workers command. This doesn't feel great. No, this is bad. Yeah. This is really bad. And honestly, the shift to remote is good. Just to be clear, Mike and I are both remote workers. Mm -hmm. We have been remote for, I've been remote for a decade plus. Yeah. me, Me too. I have, I, I started, um, my first business in 2009 and it was fully remote and I've remained fully remote since 2009 mm-hmm. for the most part, um, with the odd trip into New York city when I was working at Mike.com. But yeah, um, remote work is not an excuse to pay people less. Sorry. Yeah. It's just not. Although I do see major companies doing that. Um, although they typically cap it, the ones that do it right cap it. So They'll say, like, here is the base salary in wherever we're located, whether that's the Bay Area or in the Seattle area, uh, with a variance of plus or minus 10%. Mm, Okay. So at least it's capped. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, This one, though, this next story was kind of buried. Included in epic layoffs were 50% of Bandcamp's employees. Yeah. So this happened prior to the sale to SongTrader and was likely mandated by SongTrader. Yeah. Uh, Prior to the layoffs, Bandcamp had 210 employees, so this puts layoffs around 105 people, which was part of Epic's bullshit-sweeping 900-person layoff in September. And and I do want to address this because I do see a lot of anger around this, and I understand. I mean, are we are we talking about me too? Because I'm pretty pissed off about this as well. Yeah, um, I don't know if you saw that Epic spent a lot of money on marketing for something related to Fortnite, where they delivered enormous. Fortnite map props to major streamers. Okay. And people are understandably drawing a straight line between you just laid off 900 people and you're spending this money on. Okay. Well, those, those things are not, those things are not the same. They're not. It's okay that it, it's okay that it, that it, it's a wrinkle and that it's frustrating that, and that it pisses you off. It's okay because capitalism is gross and it's messy. So like, yes, we see this. And, and that's why I wanted to address it. Like I want to validate the feelings around this, but I think if we're going to focus on, on some, on a big decision, because this is a, these were no doubt expensive, but relatively a drop in the bucket. For the organization, I want to I want to refocus things on the lawsuit. I want to refocus things on the on the lawsuit with Apple. The amount of money spent on the lawsuit, in combination with the amount of foregone revenue from the mobile, mobile players, yeah. is what has put Epic in this situation. Correct. Keep your eye on the ball. Be feel your feelings. I totally understand where you're coming from, but 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 let's keep our eye on the ball about what actually led to this. And the asinine comment that they didn't know until a number of weeks before. No, that's hubris. I'm sorry. That's, that's hubris. That is ignorance. That is quite frankly, I won't, I won't go so far as to say it's malfeasance, but it's getting pretty fucking close to that line. Yep. Uh, the last one on the labor report 
Uh, PlayStation layoffs are continuing as well. A wave of layoffs hit support studio visual arts, though no numbers have been shared. News broke via LinkedIn, which has become, unfortunately, a wall of misery. It's an absolute miserable place now. Yeah. And, and not because the people on LinkedIn are miserable in the sense that it's toxic, but holy smoke it is like looking for work, looking for work, looking for work. And people who are like, I I have now been looking for work for seven months. And it's like, Jesus Christ. And these are senior folks. These are folks that have been in the industry for 15, 20 years and cannot find work because they're expensive. And because studios don't want to, don't want to spend to bring in actual top tier talent anymore. Yeah. And these are like really, really good folks that just cannot seem to make a go of it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. Absolutely. Speaking of like more awful things. Yeah. So shifting gears, we're, we're moving out of the labor report, but this was something that Manda flagged after our last show that she wanted to talk about. And we've talked about the Gassiker over and over and over again. We have. Um, And this was prompted by Second Extinction, uh, which is, I think is also an Avalanche studio, right? That was... I actually don't remember. uh, I I think it was one of Avalanche's studios. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, that game is not actually going to make it to 1.0. Nope. And you and I played it. It was uh, it was really, it was good. It was like you shoot you shoot a bunch of dinosaurs and then you have to do a bunch of mis- like little missions around okay. the map to escape. And the problem is is that it's not it wasn't doing anything special. It also wasn't polished. Like we played it early. Yeah. Um so it, it wasn't at that 1.0 polish. Uh, but it is not coming out. And this kind of Manda said, "Wow, there's a lot of similarity here between the Gassiker and uh, what we saw in the wake of everybody trying to capitalize on WoW's success. That's correct. So So why don't you talk a little bit about this? So MMOs, like, I wouldn't go so far as to say they were my beat because they weren't. They were, however, my big hobby, Mm -hmm. right? And I've been playing MMOs now since, like, 1998. And back in the early days of MMOs, when they started to become very popular, we started to see more and more studios taking a look at whether or not they could dip a toe and then a whole corporate body, quite frankly, into live ops. Now, building live ops games, again, if you've never listened to our conversation with Scott Hartsman and talking about live ops, it's a, it's a fascinating conversation. I mean, Scott knows MMOs better than anybody. Right. And there's a lot to the, that goes into not just developing, but maintaining live ops services. An MMO is a unique creature, Right. And back when WoW started to really find success, and we're talking in 2005, 2006, with Vanilla WoW really starting to like dig its dig its heels in and, and become kind of the behemoth that it that it has it has morphed into over the years, we saw a number of studios trying to capitalize on that, including you know games that were. Um, you know, also based on IP, like we saw the Lord of the Rings online, there were, there was Conan as well. There's Conan Mm -hmm. Exiles, which is also its own, its own MMO. There have been a number of games over the years that have tried to create and, and, and to some extent there have been some successes, but not so much in others, but there was this boom, right? There was this bloat as everybody was chasing what this hotness in MMOs were. Mm-hmm. We saw games like City of Heroes. We saw games like after City of Heroes was was shuttered, we saw Champions Online and then completely it was it was completely deep sixed. We've seen the rise and fall and rebirth of Final Fantasy XIV, which in theory should not still exist today. Mm-hmm. If that game 
if that game did not have the support of a very dedicated publisher and a number of development hours and talent and a war chest that enabled them to do what they and did. a war chest that enabled them to do it they would not still be running they would have also have fallen victim yep. to the mmo bloat essentially mm-hmm. This, what's happening with the Gassiker is a very similar thing where they are chasing after recurrent revenue, right? What's the thing that we talk about all the time and what is the thing that publishers are constantly looking for? Recurrent rev. Yeah, absolutely. So the big, that's the big thing here is that this has happened before. We've mm-hmm. seen this before. We've seen the industry recover and move into something new and move into something different. We will recover from the Gassiker as well. But something to keep in mind is that there is a difference between building a fast follow title. So a fast follow title, like, I don't know, building on um, Seven Days to Die, Mm -hmm. right? Building a fast follow title like that is very different than building a fast follow title that's like, I don't know, um... That that's like second extinction, Mm -hmm. right? Where you're, you're trying to capitalize on a moment in, in the gaming cultural zeitgeist that doesn't exist anymore Mm -hmm. because people have moved on or because they have such strong players in this space. Like we have Valorant. What else do we need? Overwatch two can't keep up with Valorant anymore. Right. We saw there was the whole, I mean, when hero shooters became a thing, it was Battleborn, mm-hmm. Overwatch, mm-hmm. Paladins, mm-hmm. Uh, and I think those were like the three. How many have survived? Well, Paladins is still running, but it's a but it's, it's a completely different creature now. It's a completely now, different creature. Uh, Battleborn's obviously like the servers aren't even online. That was sold as a premium product. That's correct. Um, Overwatch two is a stumble. It's not just a stumble. It's it's overwhelmingly negative. Yeah, but then you've got games like The Finals, which was in open beta recently, which we saw video for in the Xbox showcase, which was the the small team heist it destruction looks, game. It looks looks like it could be sticky. It looks interesting. I but again, we have seen a lot of these moves towards capturing um, influencers because mm-hmm. that is where eyeballs are. Uh huh. Eyeballs are on the influencers. I don't need to tell you this, Mike. That's literally where you work these days. I know it's weird, but for the <laughs> rest of us, where we're not working in influencer marketing and we're not working on these campaigns, these are th- often the differences between games becoming viral cultural moments and being. And, and or falling by the way of the Lamplighters League, where mm-hmm. everyone even forgot that it came out. Yeah, I, and I think look, we 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 highlighted MMOs because hi- MMOs were a really good example. We saw this with MOBAs, and yeah, I mean, remember there was a Lord of the Rings MOBA. Remember there was a DC MOBA. No, I actually don't remember either of those. Yeah, like I remember many of the MMOs that came out, but because I was never a MOBA fan, and I mm-hmm. only liked Heroes of the Storm, like because I like arena brawlers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just. I, I'm, I, I passed that by. Yeah. But so, the MOBAs themselves were like two or three years. Right. right? MMOs. Battle, Battle Royale. And now we're heading into extinction or extraction shooters. Like extraction shooters are going to be this next wave of games as a service where we're going to see a ton of fast follows. And I think like it worked really well in the division. Sure. And then everybody's like, well, let's just make a game mode out of that. Right. And like, that's fine. But again, it's one thing to build small games like that. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to build small games like that. It is a completely different thing to build studio strategy. Oh, absolutely. Which is kind of what I was trying to get to is that 
when when you have a diversified portfolio and you are moving in a number of different spaces and you're looking to capitalize on what people are looking to play because you're doing your market research, you're looking at what the numbers are telling you, you are still trend chasing. Mm -hmm. You are still not moving in a direction that is going to be potentially viable in two or three years when your game finally comes out. Unless you are able to rapidly prototype, unless you are able to go from concept to full development within 18 to 24 months, Mm -hmm. you are going to miss out. Yeah, absolutely. So fast follows are an enormous gamble, which only really work if they're small games Mm -hmm. and you don't have to invest a ton into them. Yep. Which is why I think we're going to see a bunch, continue seeing a bunch of survivors games. Right. And I, and I agree because the, it, but I I think that fat has passed. I would also tend to agree there. Yep. Anyway, so it, thank you for, thank you for pointing this out and giving me the opportunity to talk about, you know, the fact that we've already seen this before. We've seen it many times. This is along the same scale as the MMO stuff, whereas the stuff with Battle Royale, the stuff with MOBAs and everything like that, these were like very small pockets. The the MMO bust was pretty enormous and whole studios went out of business as a mm-hmm. result. Absolutely. All right. We have some listener questions. We do indeed. We will move through them relatively quickly because, yeah. Uh, so from Sammy Jankis, uh, what are your current thoughts on the state of VR? Is Sony gearing up to do the usual thing that it does with tech and, uh, with tech and wander off leaving PSVR two behind? All right. Um, I don't think the quest three hit big enough to salvage the VR market. I think the AR stuff people are saying, oh yeah, that's actually pretty cool. Like there was a Ghostbusters experience or something in AR where, you know, your ceiling gets ripped off and the, and the Stay Puft marshmallow comes down. It's like, but I don't, I it's a toy. It's a toy. Um, and I think that works better for location-based entertainment than it does for at home. Man, LBEs, though, you want to? we want to talk about something that I still think has a ton of potential. It's LBEs. Mm-hmm. I, I know that it's difficult to invest in because real estate's expensive, but... Yeah. Man, even just traveling LBEs are very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my feeling is that there was tension inside of Sony to even release the PlayStation VR 2. Mm-hmm. To, to build it and release it. I, I don't see it as a long-term prospect, quite frankly. I don't see Sony, like, diving in and giving this full support. Let's look back. Let's look back I mean, to they didn't forward. do it to the PSVR 1. Correct. Like, That's what I'm trying to say, yeah. is that the market share with the original PSVR was already minuscule. That attachment rate sat at 2%. Yeah. 2%. It's not good. That is, an, that is a teeny, 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 tiny little attach rate. Yeah that only a very small segment of players clearly were invested in. Mm-hmm. Additionally, let's talk about this from the from the perspective of quite frankly the money. Yeah. Right? You're buying a PlayStation 5. Mm-hmm. That's expensive, folks. Yep. It is expensive to purchase. Well, and getting even any, more expensive. <laughs> exactly. It's expensive to purchase any console. Right? And so on top of that expense, you're adding in an additional peripheral after you've already had to purchase expensive controllers. Yeah. And you probably also purchased expensive controller charging stations. Yep. Because you don't want to have to have cables everywhere. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at close to $1,000 US for everything once you have tax and shipping and everything Mm -hmm. like that included because, you know, it's difficult enough to find video games out in the wild in physical meat space. So there's that. And then on top of it, you want to add in an additional $300 US, $300 plus US, because I don't remember what the PlayStation... Like 500. Was it like 500? 
That's insane. Pardon Hold my on. language. That that's confirm. that's so much money. Because I couldn't remember. I remember purchasing the original PSVR for relatively little because we got it on super sale. That's that's the same bloody price as purchasing an entire console. It's more expensive than the console. And it's not even something that is going to be able to play the games that you already own. Yeah. So this additional expense already creates uh, a, a big difference between, you know, pl- players that can only play on their phones because that's all they've got, Right. So they're mm-hmm. only mobile players. Oh, they only have a Nintendo Switch. And then they finally go out and they get themselves their very first, you know, at-home console. And and what? You're expecting them to purchase this incredibly expensive peripheral on top of it? It's not approachable. Well, And the Quest 3 is... It is, is a niche market. It's a niche market. And I think that's not, the problem. It's not just niche. It is the luxe of, lux, of luxury. Yeah, I, I don't And I've see... always talked about VR with regards to talking about, like, designer handbags. Right. So you're already purchasing something that you don't necessarily need. And then there's the difference between I'm going to buy a Marc Jacobs versus a Balenciaga. For folks that don't know anything about fashion, Marc Jacobs is somewhat attainable. Balenciaga, good fucking luck. You're not, or a Birkin for crying out loud. I'm not spending $4,000 on a bag. That's what this is. Something that's already luck. Something that's already, I don't necessarily need this. It's already expensive to what is this? Yeah. So, um, so Andy Pan had a follow-up with Jim Ryan's departure. Is there any possibility that Sony may renew focus on VR? I think that whomever comes in is going to be doing a full evaluation. I don't think it's going to bear out. So I don't think so. This comes down to both the dollars and the cents of things. And I'm not talking about the pennies. I'm talking about, does this make sense from not just an internal investment, but an external investment? If we are, if they're not seeing players moving those units, there's no reason to invest in it. Yep. And I think that everything has been weird around PSVR 2 anyway, so I, I don't really see this being a long-term proposition. I was shocked that the PSVR 2 happened at oh, all. Oh, I mean, same. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, also from Andy Pan, how do we think Microsoft will structure Game Pass around games like Call of Duty? Given that Nadella's mandate isn't to grow Game Pass subs now, I'm assuming they want to now focus on revenue. Two things I think are going to happen here. One, I think around Call of Duty, they could do what they did with Riot. And instead of... Um, instead of doing uh, where they put the full game on Game Pass, they could put pieces of it um, and they could do like, oh, we're going to give you all, every operator that comes out for, for Warzone, we're going to give you, or we're going to give you a cosmetic pack every month. They could incentivize it in a way that is low lift mm-hmm. and it is um, uh, low impact on gameplay. Yeah, so that they're not splitting the player base. Exactly. So I think that's one thing that they could do. And if they're going to put one thing on, like they could put multiplayer on Game Pass and make you pay for the campaign or something like that. I think there's ways to break it up, potentially. I mean, the, the, I I like I like where your head's at in terms of the strategy. I, I think that that becomes kind of an anti-player sentiment, quite frankly, where if you are... But again, it's a it's a premium it's a premium game. Right. People are used to paying premium prices for it and how do they how do they continue to capitalize on a multi-platform blockbuster release like Call of Duty but also make it accessible for Game Pass players? That's going to be an enormous amount of work to figure out yep. what that strategy looks like. I like where your head's at, but I, I don't know. I, I, I really think, don't. I think the last things we'll see, because I think they are going to be very methodical about Call of Duty, about WoW, about 
WoW, um, I don't think, is ever going to come to Game Pass. No, I think it's more likely that we'd see Overwatch 2 get the Riot treatment where they'll give you every uh, every hero. Yeah. Um, I think Diablo is going to be a trickier one, although now that that's on Steam, Maybe a little not. bit less tricky. We'll but I think your other games, I think your Spyro games, I think your Crash games, I think we're going to see those start to flow a From lot faster. From at the publishing, yeah. Yeah, I think that we're going to see a lot of that back catalog start to resurface. Um, I would very much like to see Microsoft talk to Hasbro about bringing the Transformers games back. It honestly fills a void in Microsoft's portfolio. I have been talking about this since Mm -hmm. 2018. They do not have enough focus on family-friendly content. Skylanders. Yeah, Skylanders is definitely one of them. But this is... This is an opportunity, and I've talked about this on the Engaged Family Gaming podcast. I've talked about it here. I talked about it on Super Parent and on Game Daily and shit. I don't know where else. But I've been talking about it for years. Microsoft has a huge blind spot when it comes to family-friendly gaming content, and this is a really good way for them to shore it up on Game Pass in a way that's relatively low-lift. Yep. And as for your your thought, Andy, about uh, focusing on revenue, I actually think it'll be focusing on bottom line. So it'll be spending as little as they can on great content while keeping players happy and retained and then building out that base because I think Agreed. they spent a lot of money on content up front and we've seen the changes in strategy to looking at games that have already proven themselves. Right, and they're looking to capitalize on strong long tail. Yep, absolutely. All right, last question. Good one from Greg Alderton to round us out. With the new music out for Bloodlines 2, is it me or does the current version of Bloodlines 2 seem a little less ambitious than the Hard Suit Labs version, possibly Overscope? I think we're seeing two very different games. Hardsuit Labs was building out an immersive sim. Which, honestly, when I saw it for the very first time, it was exceptional. Yeah, I think what we're seeing now is more of a first-person action RPG. Which could still be interesting, but it is not the game that I was originally very interested in. Now, let, let let's take a step back. The original Bloodlines game was very much... Um, I wouldn't call it an immersive sim. It was not a walking simulator either because you were definitely in combat. It was a weird game. Honestly, Bloodlines was the one of the weirdest games I played. I mean, back in the day, though, and I haven't played as much of Bloodlines 1 as you have, but it struck me as very im-sim for the time. Like, for the against time. Against Deus Ex. Sure, for the time. And, like, you know what? Granted, that's fair. And that's fair for the time. But now... It, it wouldn't even hold up. No, because when we think about immersive sims, we think about um, Arcane. Arcane, We yeah. think about uh, the more recent Deus Ex games. Yeah, absolutely. So, and yeah, I, don't I mean, think that, 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 genre, that genre has absolutely it's evolved matured. and matured. Yeah. It is absolutely matured. And I, and I think where Bloodlines 2 is heading now is very interesting. I think it is going to be more... It's going to be less focused on emergent storytelling, which is a little less attractive to me because my understanding of the immersive sim that Hardsuit Labs was was creating was very, very much going to be built around your your decisions fueled who you became as a vampire. Right, and now you're playing as an elder who's had their powers stripped. Which is very interesting, and I will mm-hmm. be, as a, as a vampire fan and as somebody who has followed this lore since she was probably too young... Uh, yes in fact not probably too young was definitely too young to be following this lore um i think i think there's still promise here i'll be interested to see how they are going to take the because it depends on the generation of the vampire 
to see like even how this would work. I would mm-hmm. imagine there is some like Tremere fuckery going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's less interesting. Bloodlines Two is less interesting to me now. Yep, but because I was still play very. The crap out of it. I'm I'm definitely still going to play it and probably love it because I've been waiting for a Bloodlines game for so many years. But what made me excited about Hard Suit Labs, and this is an enormous shout out to that entire narrative department that I know all of you, and I don't know if you listened to this show, but I know all of you worked your ass off for, and I know how hard that was in letting it go, um, and how awful it all was. And no, I'm not going to go into detail here or anywhere else. These are not my stories to tell. But what I will say is that was the game I wanted. I wanted to be a thin blood. I wanted to be, I wanted to explore a, a piece of anarch lore that I haven't gotten to see in a video game yet. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry. I don't get to play your game. I am still excited to play a bloodlines game, but this is not the bloodlines game that I wanted. And with that, we have wrapped up this episode. Yay. And I didn't pass out. Woo. All right. So anyway, thank you so much for listening to the virtual economy podcast. I mean, you could follow Virtual Economy on Twitter. If I you will really still wanted. post the show there. We still post the show there. So that's uh, Virtual Econcast on Twitter. Mike and I are not on Twitter anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, I am there from time to time. I got to be there just to for work stuff and, and, and everything. But I, I, I post don't... maybe once once every few days, if that. Wow. You're actually actively posting Not there. actively posting. Every few days is active, dude. Maybe it's less than that. Maybe it's once a week. It's that's very still... little. That's, that's still more than I'm doing. I only post updates um, about the books there Got it. for the most part. Um, unless there's something like super professional going on that I need to, you know, blast out to 7,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are on Blue Sky. Yes. Virtual Economy is on Blue Sky just at virtualeconomy.bsky.social. I am ritualmagic.bsky.social. So ritual that's spelt with a W-R-I-T-U-A-L magic. I really hate spelling that out because Mike has made fun of me for literal years for not spelling out what my last name is spelled out as. See, I am at footerish.bsky.social. That's (laughs) F-U-T-T-E-R-I-S-H. We also post the show on LinkedIn on the F Squared account and our own accounts. Uh, And you can subscribe to our RSS feed at virtualeconcast.com. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon Pocket Cast. There's always one more and I can't remember. Yeah. Ah, Pocket Sand. Right in the face. Yeah. Uh, please subscribe and, if possible, review the show. Let us know what you think. Absolutely. You can, you you know, you can DM us with questions on Twitter. Obviously, Blue Sky doesn't have DMs, so don't do that there. But the best way to get in touch with us is either on podcast at fsquared.biz. So just send us an email. Let us know what's going on. Or, you know, hang out with us on Discord because that's, like, I'm neurally interfaced to Discord and mm-hmm. I see everything. Even if I'm not actively posting, I see everything. Yep. So you can, you can DM us on Discord. Um, I am Ritual Magic, again, on Discord. I am Footer, F-U-T-T-E-R. There's no I-S-H there on, is no. on no, Discord. No, because I actually got Footer on Discord, which is awesome. Um, and yeah, if you would like an invite to our community, you can ping me on Discord, send me a friend request, and hit me up and say, hey, I'm listening, listen. One of our dogs just made a weird-ass noise. That was a grumble. That was a grumble. Uh, and, uh, just say, Hey, I would really love to join your community. I like your show. And I'll be like, here's an invite. And you'll be like, okay, cool. And then you'll be like, Oh, look, everybody I'm here. I'm in the community. And I'll be like, welcome. 
Okay, we'll be like welcome because there's quite a few of us in yes. there these days. Um, but it's still it's a very it's a very tight knit crew. Um, yes. of most excellent most excellent nerds. And with that, now that we have reached an hour and a half ish, that's it for our show today. So remember to wash your hands, stay hydrated, and be good to one another. We'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs>